Hi friends, it's Meg Dahl and you're listening to Friends We Meet Reading, a book club podcast. Hi friends, so this is just a quick intro before we dive into today's actual episode. It's a bit of a different podcast episode this week rather than sitting down with two of your co-hosts. It's just me, Meg, but I'm actually sitting down with one of my very close friends and author, Rochelle Bilo. So Rochelle just wrote and is days away from her publication date of her very first romance fiction novel, Ruby Spencer's Whiskey Year. Now, I did record this podcast episode for my main podcast called Unbreakable You, but just to make sure we reach all of our book-loving friends, I wanted to share this episode here as well. Hello, Rochelle. Welcome to the show. I'm so excited to have you on with me today. I know. I wish your listeners could see what you're seeing, which is the enormous smile plastered on my face right now. I am so, so thrilled to be here. On my face too. And we've been talking for what, 15 minutes and it has just been all smiles, but that's how it always is when you're on the show or like just when we're chatting. And actually I'm thinking, I know you've been on the show once before. Have you been here twice? Is this your third No, this time? is my second time. Second time. Okay. I must have wanted you on for like another topic, but this is your second appearance. And actually I was about to tell you this before we hit record and then of course we like jumped into another topic and started talking about something else but I haven't really had any guests on the show for a really long time I kind of made this switch from being really like guest heavy and just like the random solo episode and I realized that hey I actually really enjoy recording solo episodes so switch to doing that but I was so excited to see your name in my calendar today and be sitting down with you so we are going to be talking about your brand new book (laughs) which is so surreal I bet and it is now available as of February 14th, 2023, and I am lucky enough to have read it already, but before we like actually dive into all of that goodness, if people haven't listened to our previous episode, and I mean, you know, we're always evolving and changing, so as of right now, if you could like introduce yourself and tell everyone what you're about. Oh my goodness. I am going to lead with a non-job descriptor because I'm trying to do that. I have noticed a tendency when people ask me to tell them about myself, I immediately say what I do for work. So I will start by saying that my name is Rochelle uh, and I live in Northern Vermont. I have two adorable yet barky corgis um, and I'm really passionate about cooking and being outdoors and, you know, just moving my body in intuitive ways like that. And I also happen to be a writer. (laughs) So I got my career start in food writing. Uh, I used to be an editor at Bon Appetit magazine and then transitioned to Cooking Light magazine. And after that, I went rogue and I went freelance and did that for a handful of years. Um, I've also held various other jobs. I was a yoga instructor and I was a baker at a cafe. I just don't like to sit still. But most recently, I um, have been working as a novelist, which is, it sounds insane and and wild to say out loud because I feel like the publishing industry is such a lottery um, and I got lucky enough to get a winning ticket but um, 
my fiction debut is is going to be published on Valentine's Day, which honestly, can you ask for a better, <laughs> better date? No, like how did that even happen? How did you land on that date for publication? I love it. Well, it's I will say it's less um poetic than it seems because Tuesdays are publishing days. So it, Valentine's Day this year happened to be on a Tuesday. It wasn't like, oh, we need to publish this book on Valentine's Day. But when my editor at Berkeley bought the book uh, in October of 2021, um, what happens at that point is the, the publishing house decides when this book will be released. So obviously you need at least, maybe this isn't obvious, you need at least a year of lead time to go through revisions and edits and then the marketing lead up and then the cover design and then the design of the book. It's a lot of work. Um, But the team and I decided that my book would be a good fit for a kind of a middle of winter release because it's pretty cozy right you read the book it feels like you're sitting in front of a warm fire with a blanket and uh so that's why we chose February and then it was just oh what the heck February 14th I guess we'll go with that date (laughs) amazing yes I think I read it at maybe like the very end of November or beginning of December. I can't quite remember, but I had originally told you because I forget when you sent it to me. It would have been like late fall, maybe of 2022. You got the ARC, the advanced reader copy, which is before the book is fully designed. Like I have it here. You can see the copy you have doesn't have a spine design. Right. right. So like this has a spine and then, you know, there are some grammatical errors in your copy of the book, which got fixed. Um, But yeah, so those went out in the fall for, you know, bloggers and reviewers to start generating a buzz. Um, But then I think you had said it was going to be your first read of 2023. And I was so honored that you couldn't wait. My thought process was because so I started that book club podcast, right? Friends We Meet Reading. And I found that if I read a book like way too far in advance, I was having a really hard time like thinking about the specific details. And I knew you and I would be recording this episode in February. So I'm like, okay. I'm going to make myself hold off until January. So things are still fresh, that sort of thing. And then I just was like, I cannot wait any longer. So I was like, screw it. I'm just going to read it. And if I have to like reread it again or skim through it or whatever, um, I will do that. But I'm glad I didn't wait because like you said, it is a cozy read and that's exactly how I described it. Like it's so cozy. I did sit by my fire every evening and morning and read your book. It's just so good for so many different reasons. And I'm sure there were grammar errors in that ARC copy, but I did not notice them. I'm like, what? (laughs) I didn't. Clearly I would be a bad editor because I did not notice anything, but I have to say copy editors and proofreaders are truly amazing because I can feel like I have a clean manuscript. And then Meg, I have to tell you, when I got the copy edits back, you know, my editor and I went through all the revisions and we got the story the way that we wanted. And I pride myself on being a pretty good writer. It's what I do for a job. It's what I've done my whole adult life. And then I got the copy edits back and there were... (laughs) Over 2,000 notes. <laughs> what? And like the way that I screamed when I read that. And it's just little things like, um, I mean, not, when, when you get copy edits, it's not just grammar. It's things like sometimes, yes, grammar, like you uh, used a semicolon here and it should have been a comma or in my case and in the case of many writers I know it's you have way too many m dashes and you need to cut them out but it's also 
factual things like, oh, you mentioned that the sun is setting at this point, but in uh, the Highlands of Scotland in September, the sun wouldn't set until this time. And so the copy editor really makes sure that you have crossed your T's and dot in your I's. So getting copy edits can feel very overwhelming and almost anticlimactic because you've done all the revision so you feel like oh, I've jumped that hurdle but it's so important and then of course I have to say I've already found one typo in the finished copy but at this point this book has been read by me hundreds of times by my editor probably dozens of times a proofreader a copywriter like at this point or a copy editor at this point the typo deserves to be there <laughs> Right. I read it and I truly do not remember any typos either. Not that I was reading it to like proofread, but you know, I'm, I'm sure we've all read a book before where we come across a typo and it's like, oh my gosh, you know, here's a typo. Wild. (laughs) Yeah. But like, I truly do not remember a typo. So Yes, that was meant to be there. Like you said, gosh, I have so many questions and I really hope, you know, this episode is kind of in a way like one of those conversations where people can really get a look at what the process is like for someone who writes novels. So one of my questions, I guess, would be right now learning that when you received those over 2000 edits, like how long did that take you to, so clearly you were not expecting that. You said you screamed, (laughs) like it was so unexpected over 2000 edits. And like you said, some grammar, some more like logistical, you know, things, but yeah, like how long would have that taken you to correct all of those 2000 edits? Uh, so the tricky thing about publishing, that's a really thoughtful question, by the way. The tricky thing about publishing is it's um, wait, 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 go, 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 go. So when I got those edits, I think I had a two week turnaround time. Uh, because, you know, they're on a deadline. The publishing house is not just dealing with my book. They're doing this with a zillion other authors or not a zillion, but, you know, a couple dozen. And um, so one of the things I'm so grateful for is because I am a freelancer, I can kind of drop everything and focus on the project at hand. So in that instance, when I got the copy edits, I said, okay, I am just going to focus on this for the next two weeks. And luckily those are not things like, oh, this scene doesn't make sense or you need to rewrite this scene. It's just, do I want a comma here or do I not? And in the case of a copy editor's work, you can accept or deny any of their changes. So you don't have to do everything that the copy editor suggests. Sometimes you might say, oh, I know that there shouldn't be a comma here, but it's a stylistic choice that I'm making. So that's really where the the work comes in is being thoughtful about all of those decisions and saying, do I really want this here? And then of course, sometimes what happens is your copy editor will ask you to either fix something or delete it. And you think, it's going to be really hard to fix that. I think I'll just delete it. <laughs> okay, that makes so much sense. And I love knowing that these are more like, obviously some of them are, yes, okay, like I need to fix this. But you can also just decide, okay, do I actually want to follow their suggestion or leave it the way that I have it? Okay, that makes so much sense. Yeah, and that way it's a collaborative effort, you know, and it's my book has been made so much better for the copy edits, but there were some things that I decided to keep just because they're unique to my writing voice and style, even if it's not grammatically perfect. Yeah, and I, you know, picked up on that. I think, like, I love reading a bunch of different styles. Like, I'm never reading just one genre all the time or just from one author all the time. I could never do that. I just 
love diving into different books, different writing styles, different genres and stuff. And that was something so cool about your book. I don't know, you have such a unique style, I think. And I'm not sure, you know, if you could describe it in any way, like if you would like have ever had to describe your writing style, but it's definitely unique. It's not something that you just sit down and it just sounds like everything else. Do you know what I'm saying? I, I think I do. I have never been asked to describe it, but I think maybe what you're picking up on is I write with a very strong focus on the um, oral experience, A-U-R-A-L. So often when I write, I either speak the words out loud, like physically out loud or read them in my head. So you'll notice, or what I hope readers don't notice, but affects them is there's a lot of alliteration and action assonance in my writing so words that sound the same either you know the beginning of the word or in the middle with the vowel sounds um which makes for a kind of poetic reading experience it's a little more prosy than you know just straight um descriptive writing because to me I want the writing to look beautiful on the page and sound beautiful as you're reading the words out loud in your head so that might be what you're experiencing. I don't know, but that's definitely something that I focus on in the writing. I process. love knowing that. And also I just want to share something else is like I really do enjoy like beautiful writing, like kind of more poetic writing, but I do feel like there's been novels in the past that I've read where it's just like so descriptive that it just feels like it takes three days to get to the point of what they're trying to say because they're just being so like flowery and colorful with their language and yours was not like that so although it was very beautiful and poetic and like super descriptive to the point where I definitely like I've never been to Scotland before and you full on like I sent you this text afterward I'm like okay Scott and I want to go to Scotland for our honeymoon like you fully convinced me and that was because you know the way you wrote was just so real I felt like I was there but it wasn't like okay get to the point already like you've been going on about this one thing for so long you know what I mean that's where editors come in handy. They like help us, you know, rein in the description. But I do think um, that is important to me as a writer is to create an immersive experience. So for me, I call that world building. I want the reader to be able to completely picture the world or picture themselves in it, whichever they prefer. And I don't think you can do that without descriptions of the setting and I don't just mean what it looks like but what the air smells like or how you feel when you look around it and so I would say a fair amount of my work does go of my words do go to descriptions but then of course it's romance so you need a lot of action and banter and fun dialogue and plot progression too so I think it's just a balancing act and there was great banter <laughs> in Ruby Spencer's. So I love the banter, but I was not surprised knowing you as I do. So I do want to jump back actually, because you said something before that I'm like, ooh, I want to talk about that because I think that would be cool for us to know who just like want to be snoopy about the lives of people who write novels. But basically you said that your editor at Berkeley bought the book back in 2021 right and it's just coming out now February 2023 so I'm wondering like what that kind of was all like so in 2021 was the book fully written and then also when you found out that it wasn't going to be released until 2023 did that feel like a lifetime away I have so many questions <laughs> I'm so excited to talk about this because it is, I think, something that's really confusing to readers who don't know the publishing industry. Like, oh my God, that is so far away. 
And so to give you the full timeline, I began writing this book in January of 2021. And when it comes to fiction or novels, you write the manuscript and then you and your agent, ideally most writers I know have an agent, um, try to sell the manuscript and then your editor will help you revise it. In nonfiction works, like for example, a cookbook or my memoir that I wrote in 2014, you write a proposal and the editor buys the proposal and then you write the book. But so for fiction, you kind of have to take a leap of faith and, and write the project and then sell it. So in January of 2021, let me set the scene for you since we're world building. I had just gotten out of a very weird COVID relationship breakup. I like moved way too quickly with this guy who was not the right choice for me. And I ended up kind of uprooting my life to go be with him. And then we both realized it didn't work out. And so I had to kind of beat feet and retreat. And so I was feeling really dejected. And I wanted to write something that felt hopeful because I was not feeling very hopeful. And I imagined that a lot of people like me were also not feeling hopeful. So I kind of created this very vague outline of this book. I thought I, I love Scotland. It's been a, a big part of my heart for years now. And so I knew, I, I knew I wanted to set the book in Scotland and I wanted the two main characters to be like this. And so I had never written fiction before. I brought this idea to my agent because essentially if you have an agent and they say, I don't think I can sell this. It's not worth writing, you know, or a good agent will say, let's work on this project to find a way for me to sell it. And so what my agent said was like, love this, like great characters. Sounds fantastic. What's your plot? <laughs> and I was like, what the hell is that? What is a plot? Why do I need that? I just want to write about vibes. Um, so anyway, my agent helped me really flesh out this story. And then I spent um, about three months intensely writing the draft and revising it with my agent. Again, one of the benefits of having an agent is she, my agent knows what will sell or what editors that she has relationships with want to see. So she helped me really refine and revise the book. Um, I think uh, this is not a spoiler to say uh, the character of Anne Dunbar, uh, the mayor of Thistlecross uh, in the first draft was a male, was a guy. So like that the whole part, and she's a major part of the plot. And so that changed, you know, it's like the novel just really changed a lot. So anyway, uh, then we started revising it um, throughout the spring and summer months. And uh, she said, I think I'm going to start pitching this in fall. And I said, okay, that's fine. And at this point, I was just, you know, hoping and praying. I had spent so much time on this. I just hoped that she could sell it. I had a trip planned to Scotland in October of that year. And it was the, the first two weeks in October. And I wanted to go to celebrate finishing this draft but also I knew that if I went to Scotland the draft would change a lot you know I would learn things and the, the way that the characters speak would change after having been there and experienced it so again I was just hoping that would <laughs> be worthwhile and then on the last leg of my flight home I flew from um Edinburgh to New York, I believe, and then New York to Pittsburgh, and then like Pittsburgh to Vermont. I don't remember the exact path, but path. But on the last flight, I got an email from my agent saying that that at my editor at Berkeley was interested in buying it, which was like the perfect dream come true. So we went back and forth on that for a while, and when she finally did purchase it, um, 
she purchased that book and then the concept of my next book. So that one, you know, had not been written. And honestly, to your question, did February of 2023 seem so far away? Yes and no. Um, yes, because I felt like, what's the, what's the weight? I have this perfect book right here. And then of course I went through the process and I learned all of the things that needed to change and all of the things that needed to happen. And I realized, okay, it couldn't have happened faster. Um, but also it didn't feel that far away because as in terms of timeline, I know people got signed around the same time as I did and their books are coming out this summer. So in reality, things moved pretty quickly for me. So that was a ramble. I'm sorry if that was too long. <laughs> no, it was perfect. It was absolutely perfect. And I agree, like it's perfect, like the time of year that it's coming out versus if you were to have had it out in the summertime. You know, it's it's not that it's like, you have to read this book in the winter because you definitely don't, but it's not really a, like, I'm thinking sitting on the beach reading this book, you know, it, it's more perfect cozied up at home with like a mug of tea or whatever, you know? I agree completely. It is a cozy book. It's so cozy. Yes. So I need to ask this because I know if we have anyone listening to this episode that maybe they've always had this dream of writing a novel of their own. So you came up with the idea for this book, you know, you came up with the characters and then you said you pitched it to your agent or you like reached out to your agent. I am going to assume that some people are like, okay, but like, where does this agent come from? Like, how do you get an agent? Your sounds amazing, you know? So like, obviously you've been a writer your entire adult life. So maybe you've always had this agent. I don't know. Spill the beans. Tell us. <laughs> uh, good question. And my experience is a little different than what most people's will be. Um, I'll start by sharing my experience, which was when I got my agent, it was in 2013. And I had um, the idea for my first book, which was my memoir, about a year I spent living and working on a farm, and I wanted to write this book. And my one of my college professors said, oh, I'll put you in touch with my agent. He had written a memoir as well. And so I pitched the agent uh, who actually owns the agency and uh, she was not interested, but her assistant was starting to acquire titles as well. So she started out as the assistant and then she, you know, started repping her own um, authors and I was actually her first author. So her assistant decided to take a chance on my book. Her name is Rachel and she's actually who I dedicated this book to. Um, she's no longer my agent because she decided to leave the agency and she now works freelance. She helps authors craft their proposals to help them get an agent. So she would definitely be a helpful person if you want to reach out. Um, I can include information to put in the show notes. But anyway, so I was at this agency, I had sold a book, Rachel, my agent left, I was not just going to be orphaned, right? So my agency assigned another agent within their office to me. And I am so lucky. Uh, Sharon, my agent has been the most patient human being. And she has made my writing so much better. So for almost a decade, I wanted to write another book. And so for this copy of Ruby Spencer's Whiskey Year behind it, there's about a dozen failed projects that I would send to my agent and she would say, this isn't quite right, or I don't think I could sell this, or it needs this. And nothing ever felt right. 
And so then, you know, she just stuck with me. The relationship with an agent and a writer is not, there's no like financial transaction until a sale gets made. So you, as a writer, you should not be paying your agent. You know, it's not like I, I paid her a salary or, you know, every year to just like stick with me, but the agent gets paid a commission when you sell your project. So anyway, so that was my experience. I will say the hardest part about getting published is not getting a publisher, it's getting an agent. Because once you get your agent, you can rest assured that, I mean, it's not a sure shot that you're going to get published, but most agents, I feel comfortable saying all agents, only take on clients that they think they can sell. So the process of getting an agent is called querying. And so it basically involves sending a little bit about yourself, like a cover letter, basically about yourself, and then a sample of your manuscript or the project you're working on to your agent. And now you might be wondering, well, how do I find the right person? I will say the industry makes it really easy to do a good job because most agencies will have lists of their agents and include, oh, I like to receive pitches about cozy mysteries, or I like to receive, you know, works by BIPOC authors in this genre. And so, you know, you're not going to go in there blind and just pitch an agent who doesn't want to read your sort of work. Um, I know a lot of authors and novelists find that to be the hardest part, and it can take the longest. Some people query agents for years before they get picked up. Uh, so that's why I feel lucky that I kind of got grandfathered in a little bit. Yeah, what it like? I'm covered in goosebumps. That's such a cool story, and I think like I know I learned a lot just by you sharing what you did. So. I'm sure everyone else found that really helpful too. Thank you. That was so good. Um, how would you feel if we started talking about the book now? And no spoilers though, because I don't want to give spoilers because it's just so good. And typically when we record episodes for my book club podcast, Friends We Meet Reading, there's like spoilers all over the place. So I just want to be clear, you know, for everyone listening that there's not going to be spoilers, um, but it's definitely going to be an episode you can come back to as well if you have read the book to like learn a little bit more. And I'm so curious, like you talked about world building and I think we all like, you know, understand what that's like and I want to know about like character building too. Like what was your characters are just so rich and um, like they're so well fleshed out. Like I love the characters. So very curious. Like if a book gives me book hanger hangover, which yours absolutely did. Like I felt it in my soul that I missed the characters in this book and I'm just like wondering what that process was like for you building these characters Mm, the biggest and loudest answer jumping to the tip of my tongue right now is rewriting scenes so what happens or what happened with me is I had once I had my plot I knew what was going to happen I would write these scenes and the deeper I got, right, the more I wrote, I would realize that I had written a scene and I had made the characters act in a way that didn't feel authentic to them. And so then I would have to rewrite it and say, oh, okay, no, the character would actually respond in this way. And so it sounds a little cheesy, but when you get to a certain point in drafting, or when I get to a certain point in drafting, I feel like the characters do take over a little bit. And that happens through, yes, things I have crafted. But, you know, for example, um, the character of Broken, 
listens often. He doesn't usually initiate conversation, uh, but when he is in a conversation, he is engaged and he's present. And so the more I would write his character, I would always write Ruby was the one who had started the conversation. She is the one who's always had to trot and ask him a zillion questions. I realized that that's a character trait of his, right? So then it made sense, okay, moving forward, he's probably not going to initiate a conversation or if he does, it's big, it's an important moment. And so even little things like, oh, what does my character do when they're nervous? Uh, Ruby tends to do a lot with her hands. She'll kind of twist her fingers into knots or she'll retie her braid. Um, and just, I find that the more time you spend with your characters, the more you realize who they are. Uh, and that evolved. You know, I knew I wanted Ruby to be brave and spunky and quirky, and I wanted broken to be kind of rugged and on the more stereotypically masculine side but there's so much more in them that I couldn't have come up with without actually writing them I don't know if that makes sense yeah totally and I I absolutely get what you're saying like how they just kind of at some point just kind of like took over and you probably didn't have to put that much thought into it. It was just more like, okay, she's, it would just make sense for her to do this. And that's just what's happening. You know, they just kind of come alive in a way. Yeah. And I think again, this is where my agent comes in. She was so helpful in an early draft of the novel. Um, I had broken, um, do something during the climax of the novel that was kind of um like a stereotypical romance novel thing you know like um I don't want to give away spoilers but my agent said I don't think he would do that and that was a big learning moment for me because I thought oh this would be really funny for the plot this would be dramatic but if your character wouldn't actually do it then it's gonna fall flat and so I had to sacrifice that and and choose a course of action for him that felt more authentic to who he was even if it was less dramatic because he's not a dramatic guy yeah and I feel like that's what you know if you are to read not reviews about your book but just like reviews about any novel you know the ones that are like frustrated with the way something played out it's probably usually because like you know we've been seeing this character do something all along and this is how their character you know moves through situations and then all of a sudden something happens and it's like wait what like why that doesn't even make sense you know and you can kind of tell when something happens just to make it happen for the book rather than make sense for the character to actually do that you know yeah that's why it's hard it's like your characters don't always behave in the way that you want them to but that's where the puzzle comes in where you're like okay this is broken so now I have to move this around and now I have to fix this um, and that's why writing a novel is hard. <laughs> it's one of the reasons. I believe it. So I learned something new today. I thought you had gone to Scotland like prior to or while writing this, like the first time. And like you said, you probably, you know, went to Scotland, learned some things and then that was maybe integrated into the book afterwards, just from what you learned from your trip. But I seriously, while I was reading the book, I was like, this is so cool. She like went to Scotland, like on this retreat, wrote this book, but that's not actually what happened. So no, that was interesting to learn. When I started writing the book, it was, we were still deep in, you know, COVID. Like no travel. Yeah. Yeah. Things are weird. And I did so much research for this book. I not only, I mean, I kind of probably did too much research. And I think sometimes authors have this um, 
tendency to be like, I did my research and now you have to pay. And like, you know, I didn't want to go down a rabbit hole and, and describe anything in too much detail. But I did research not just on on the places that I wrote about or, you know, the scenery. I did research on the history of distilling in Scotland. I did research about, you know, the Highland clan culture because I just wanted to immerse myself in the world before I could immerse the reader in it. Um, and... I'm so glad that I was able to go to Scotland because things did change. But I will say the biggest thing that changed after I went to Scotland was the dialogue. Okay, you know, I, I think, ask. Yeah, Americans, I don't know if Can- Canadians are like this, but Americans have a lot of um, expectations and stereotypes about Scottish people. And a lot of them are not true. <laughs> I feel like that goes like I feel like Americans have a lot of stereotypes for Canadians too. Yes, that's probably true. <laughs> Americans just have a lot of stereotypes about everyone. But it's like the dialogue, you know, you can you can watch Outlander and you can, you know, read up on Scottish slang words, but to capture the cadence of the way a person speaks, you have to just be in conversation with someone. Um, And so, you know, like a lot of Scottish isms that I had put in the book, I learned that people don't actually say that. This is just what Americans think they do. And so hopefully the book reads a little more true to how broken and the other Scottish characters would actually speak um but yeah so no I did all that research before I actually went there (laughs) I love that but I'm glad that you went and then you were able to make adjustments that you felt were important you know I love that so much so a couple more things about characters because I am on your newsletter and I feel like at one point you said that the Enneagram played somewhat of a role in building out your characters and I actually have a friend right now who has like a dream of writing like a fantasy novel and she had texted me one day saying like she was talking about building her characters out and I told her about the Enneagram and she's like oh my gosh Meg of course you would say that because like I love the Enneagram but I'm like no like hear me out like this is this makes sense and then I told her about you so was that a part or am I yeah it was okay it was I so I've written two romance novels now. I just finished the draft of my second one. I have found I need to know my character's Enneagram number before I can start writing them in earnest. And the reason is, as someone who studies the Enneagram, I know you will appreciate this. It's not so much personality traits. It's more knowing someone's Enneagram number helps you understand their driving motivations and fears and so once you know what someone wants and you know what someone is afraid of I think you can write them more honestly in a way that feels um authentic Uh, here we go again to the way they would actually behave in a situation right like if you know their core desire or their core fear and you're at a point in your writing where you're like, I don't know what this, like, I don't know what Ruby would do here. You look at her Enneagram and you're like, okay, she is a type whatever. And then it would make, like, it would be so much easier to understand what she would do in whatever situation it is, you know? Right. And I will say, I mean, this being my fiction debut, I stayed in the safe zone a little bit. Um, I wrote more about what I know. I, Some people have brought up, they're like, Ruby sounds a lot like you. And like, we share a similar background. We're both come from the world of food writing. There is one more similarity we share. We are the same Enneagram number, but beyond that, we're actually quite different. I will say she is a lot more chill than I am. (laughs) I like moved to another state this year and it broke me. I could never do what Ruby did. Um, But 
I did find that writing to get my feet wet in the world of writing fiction, writing about a character through the lens of my Enneagram number helped me create fiction within the constraints of motivations and fears that I understood. And then it was a really fun challenge for my next novel. I chose a character, my main character is an Enneagram number that I have very little experience with. So my, if you're an Enneagram nerd, you'll know this. I'm a four and my main character in my next novel, the one that's coming out in 2024 is a type six. And so <laughs> it's like worlds apart. And that's where I felt like I was able to grow as a writer because I had to do the work to understand her in a way that was not innate to me. That is so interesting to me. And honestly, out of all of the Enneagram numbers, like I feel like, cause you and I are both fours. And I agree with you. I feel like a six would, and I don't know if it's because that's the type that I have the least amount. Like I have one friend who's a type six and I, yeah. I truly can't I remember. That I know. Yeah. yeah. Like I can't think of anyone else in my life that's a type six. So I get what you're saying. Like that would be so, such a push and a place to grow for you. And just like going back to ruby and like i've known you i mean even going back to what you said at the when i asked you to introduce yourself at the beginning of the show um you were saying you know you all of your different jobs and stuff like that over the years i'm like oh my gosh i have followed you this entire time like i was like i how did we get connected? I don't Instagram. even know. So I told, I, okay, just <laughs> pause, pause from t- book talk for a minute because my mom recently asked me this too. Like I was telling her about your book, you know, and she's like, it's just so fascinating to me how you make all of these friends like on social media. And so I was telling her like how we became friends. I was like, well, basically like I found her on Instagram and you were just posting all of this super yummy food. And I thought you were like, I just had like this, I don't know, weird like feeling of like being connected to you in some way. Like I just like had that like intuitive, like I need to like have her in my life type feeling. And so I followed you and I was like always liking all of your (laughs) posts and stuff. But then we just kind of like started like you followed me and I thought that was like the coolest thing ever because you were like this big deal food writer and we've just been friends ever since. (laughs) Yeah, I think you're right. And I think it's just, it's felt like such a natural evolution of our friendship that it feels like we have always been friends and what I think is so cool is and now we're not even talking about the book but we have both evolved and changed a lot in that period so much (laughs) so much and like yeah if that Meg like the first day that I stumbled across your very first Instagram post that I saw I like I can't even imagine what she would think if she knew that I would be like sitting with you today talking about your book I love it so much so special but um what I was going to say about Ruby was like I know you so I did notice you know some of those like oh cool like these are some similarities and I knew like she's an Enneagram type four you're an Enneagram type four but it wasn't everything and I love what you said like writing from a place that you know really well rather than diving into something totally different and then also like how many of the people reading your book for the very first time are actually going to know you that like all those details about you you know what I mean so it's not like everyone reading the book is going to be like oh wow this reminds me a lot about the author (laughs) you know what I mean I even the people that I know I just want to keep reminding them this is fiction so like, especially with certain scenes, don't think you know me. <laughs> right. Like, this don't is not what I did while I was in Scotland. Yeah. Yeah, it is. I think every author puts little pieces of themselves and their background and their history 
and their preferences in their work. Every author I know steals lines of dialogue from people in their lives and puts it in their work. Um, and so the line that I think is it becomes fiction when you use the real material to um, kind of when you use it as a jumping off point when you use it as inspiration that's you know you don't want to just like dictate your own life experience or be transcribing someone's conversation on the train but you know there's inspiration to be had <laughs> amazing well I love that so much and I know we've been talking for like 50 minutes already and I'm like oh my gosh, we didn't even tell anyone. Like people know that this is a romance novel, but they actually like, it's set in Scotland. There's <laughs> Ruby, there's Broken. Like what else? You know, I should so the book. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, pitch it to everyone. Tell them why they need to read it. So the book is uh, about uh, Ruby Spencer, who is an American woman in her mid thirties. And she has just quit her job and she decides she needs to push the reset button on her life what she's going to do is move to Scotland for a year to write a cookbook did she need to move to Scotland to do this probably not she just felt like it would be a big jolt of energy that she needed um when she gets to Scotland all of her expectations are blown out of the water she thought she would be staying in a very cool part of Scotland. And it turns out she's in a tiny, tiny little town in the Highlands. And uh, that's where the magic happens. She ends up falling in love with the village, falling in love with the local town pub, falling in love with the local town handyman. And just when she starts to feel like she has found her place, her whole world is threatened because her cozy little pub is threatened to be turned into an American chain restaurant. So she has to decide where her loyalties lie and where home really is to her. So that's, that's my elevator pitch. <laughs> I love it. So good. Everyone needs to grab a copy. Uh, gosh, I have so much more I want to ask you, honestly. Um, did you read much other like many other books while writing this novel and your second when I'm drafting I have a really hard time reading mostly because <laughs> uh my day job I'm a freelancer and I write for many different magazines and websites and so one of the um skills that I have but it is also a hazard is I adopt um, like a brand voice very easily. So if I start to read someone else's work, I will start writing in their style. <laughs> I feel and like so, that's so easy to do though. Yeah. Yeah. And so I just felt like when I'm writing, I need to be in my style. Um, I'm not a big TV person, but when I am drafting, I will watch TV instead of read at night. You and I are similar. We like to read at night. I know. Um, but when I'm writing, I can't. And so that's when I was like, okay, I'll go into some of my little shows and start doing that. Okay. So definitely I, I, I've never written a novel before, but I feel like it would be really hard to read someone else's novel or just like read any book while writing your own. So since I can't ask like, Hey, what are you reading? What have you read lately? What are you watching? I'm so curious. Uh, I am currently watching the crown. Um, and the reason for that is I had not seen it at all. So the most recent episode or the most recent season, season five came out and, um, my boyfriend and I were watching an HBO show called Deadwood, which is 20 years old. It's set in the Wild West. And I was devouring that show. I was, I needed to watch two episodes a night, every night. And my boyfriend was like, we need something to slow you down on the Deadwood. 
I think you would like the crown. He had seen it. I had not. And he said, I'll rewatch it with you. And then you can intersperse episodes and you won't go through Deadwood so quickly. Well, now I am hooked on the crown and I am binging that. And I have not watched the other show in like two months. Um, I, this will not come as a surprise. I love everything UK. So just like being immersed in the British monarchy is so delightful. Um, yeah, that's what I'm watching now. And uh, the rest of the time, it's just trying to ignore the sports that my boyfriend has on the TV. All the time. I There's swear. always a game. Always. Him and Scott <laughs> would get along so well. Scott has three screens in his office going at all times, not including his cell phone. Like, I swear, he'll have his cell phone propped up a hockey game or something going on his cell phone two different like he has two monitors in front of him <laughs> it's just a little much but I don't know how he does it and like he could tell you exactly what happens in every single game he's watching and it's like how you're watching three different games at one time like how do you know what's happening I could never do that and then there I am curled up by the fire reading a book you know yeah my problem with the tv is I am very unable to tune it out and so if we are in the same room and my boyfriend is watching TV, I will have to, I'll be like commenting on the commercials and this and that. And he's like, how are you even, you're not even watching it. And I'm like, if it's on, it's entering my brain and my stream of consciousness. So I will say a relationship saver for us has been earbuds because <laughs> then I can just pop my little world in and I'll listen to peaceful piano music while I'm reading and set the mood for myself and then when we want to come together and watch something we can but it doesn't feel like um it's forced on me all the time yes a hundred percent same like I need dead silence when I'm reading or else just I'm so distracted but okay if any time like if at all your book is made into you know, something on the screen. I want to play a game. Who would we cast for the characters? Because this is one of my favorite things to do when I'm reading a novel. Like, I just feel like, I don't know, getting really specific. And sometimes the characters just like pop into your mind exactly how they look. But oftentimes I'll like scour the internet for an actor that would act as that characters so I'm curious like I know you and I have texted about this before <laughs> I have and my answer for Ruby still remains vague um I think you had suggested Elizabeth Olsen yeah and I like that but I'm not totally sold I'm not like yes that's the one I still haven't found the perfect actor to play Ruby maybe she you know, is still on the up and coming. I do think that Colin Farrell would make a perfect broken because he has those thick eyebrows and the dark brooding gaze. Just put a beard on him and we're like golden. Um, We talked about uh, Amy Schumer playing the role of Ruby's best friend, which I think would just be perfect. I think she's so funny and she is very... um, light-hearted in a way that I think would be perfectly reflected by Amy Schumer so yeah Yeah, I agree with that and then didn't we say Isla Fisher for yes or Anne Dunbar yes I think she would be perfect too she's a fiery red she is yes (laughs) oh my gosh I love dream casting so much that's like one of my favorite things to do after reading a book and chatting with a friend who also just read it it's like okay can we like choose the best cast possible and I agree with you about Elizabeth Olsen it was kind of like my best idea but it wasn't like okay this is spot on yeah we need really quirky but um but not like Zoe Deschanel level quirky you know she's not so much of a caricature she is 
She's she's a tricky one. I don't know. If you read the book and you have ideas, let I us know. know. You should, you know, once people like more people have read it you should post on instagram like do a little like question box and see if people have because we need to cast her yeah i love that (laughs) oh my goodness well this has been so much fun like i said i could just keep chatting with you but i want to respect your time as well (laughs) and not make this episode four hours long either your Um, listeners are gonna look at it and go oh my gosh (laughs) oh my gosh oh they're gonna love it and you'll be back because you just handed in your draft for your second novels so we have that that to look forward to that one's set in Maine. Oh my goodness. I am so excited. It's a summer 11 kind of novel. <laughs> Amazing. Do you know the release date for that one too? We don't have that set yet, but we did just, I can't announce it yet, but we did just decide on the title and the cover. I'm so excited. <laughs> well, I'm very excited to read that one, but we will have the link to Ruby Spencer's Whiskey Year in the show notes and I'm so excited for everyone to read it (laughs) thanks Mike thank you